This morning, I just want to ask you a question. One question. What is your relationship with the light of the world? What is your relationship with Jesus, who is the light of the world? When we start talking about the Christmas story, about Jesus being the light of the world, what are some names that you think of? What are some names of the story that you think of? This is a real question. Who are some people that you know in the Christmas story? Mary, right? Joseph, the shepherds, the wise men, anybody else? Can get, yeah, the innkeeper, good job, good job. What nobody mentions is Herod, who was the king of Judea at the time when Jesus was born. Nobody mentions Herod. He was the king of Judea, which is the place where Jesus was born. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him, and then we're going to read about what the Bible says about him. Um, Herod was the king of Judea. He was placed there when the Roman Empire has started taking over everything. You know what? I'm just going to talk loud. Can I just talk loud enough? For, keep going. Keep going. Okay, I feel like I'm echoing back to myself. Sorry. Um, all right. Let me get... Get back here. <laughs> Sorry about this. Okay, Herod was the king of Judea. He was placed there in, um, by the Roman Empire. Um, let, Julius Caesar placed him there. And then um, if you remember any, I have a history teacher in the room, so I'm like a little nervous about, about this. Uh, she is a high school history teacher. She teaches people this. So Julius Caesar was assassinated by, sen by senators in 44 BC. So 44 years before Jesus was born, Julius Caesar, who ruled over the Roman Empire, was assassinated by senators because he was power hungry and they didn't think he was good for the future of the government or of the Roman Empire. Two people went to avenge his death. One was named Octavian, who was Julius Caesar's nephew, and the other was Mark Antony. Does anybody know Mark Antony? Does this? Okay, so Octavian and Mark Antony avenge his death. They go after the senators who killed Julius Caesar, um, and, you know, they do their thing. So Mark Antony then marries Cleopatra. Everybody know Cleopatra? She was from Egypt, this beautiful queen, and the people in Rome were really, really, really worried about Mark Antony and Cleopatra marrying each other because Cleopatra's from Egypt, and they're like, oh no, she's going to unify Egypt and Rome. Mark Antony is going to want to do this now, um, but you know, whatever, so they just keep on living. Octavian and Mark Antony are like best friends. Herod, who's the king of Judea, gets to be really good friends with Mark Antony, okay, and Cleopatra. He sends them lavish gifts. He uh, has parties with them. They like, he becomes their pastor, or their friend, not their pastor. He, king Herod was never a pastor. Let's be clear about that. He was a bad dude. Um, anyway, so he becomes really good friends with Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and he starts to benefit from this relationship. Mark Antony and Octavian, who like have sort of rose to power now. What happens when two guys become like really powerful? There's only room for how many at the top? One. So Mark Antony and Octavian have this civil war. Mark Antony and Cleopatra lose very quickly and run back to Egypt. And Octavian becomes Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. Okay, does this make sense? 
But King Herod is friends with who? Mark Antony and Cleopatra, and he sided with them, even in the Civil War, to the very bitter end. He is with Mark Antony and Cleopatra. So now he's the king of Judea, and there is a Roman emperor over him who he is not friends with and who was his enemy in a lot of ways. So Herod has a couple choices, right? He can flee to Egypt with Mark Antony and Cleopatra and get out of the way, right? Or he can just pray that uh, Octavian, who's now Caesar Augustus, doesn't recognize him or know him, just begins to ignore him and let him do his thing in Judea. But Herod is incredibly politically savvy, okay? Herod, prior to this, has built, rebuilt the uh, temple in Jerusalem. In fact, the western wall that's still there, he helped to build that. He's built aqueducts. He's done all this like really incredible stuff. He's actually known as Herod the Builder at this time, even if he is the enemy of Caesar Augustus. So he goes to Caesar Augustus, incredibly politically savvy, right? He goes to Caesar Augustus, and he arrives, and they're like, um, King Herod is here to meet you, Caesar Augustus. And he was like, what? Does that dude know what he's doing? Like, why are you doing it? Like, why is he coming to meet me? And they're like, he really wants to see you. So he gets in a boat, goes to the aisle, goes to meet him. And King Herod stands in front of Caesar Augustus, and he says to him, incredibly politically savvy guy, right? He looks at him, and he was like, you know this about me, Caesar Augustus. I am loyal. Was I friends with Mark Antony and Cleopatra? Yes. And I supported them until the bitter end. I pledged my loyalty and my allegiance to Mark Antony and Cleopatra. I am loyal to the bitter end. And he looks at Caesar Augustus and he says, Now I pledge my allegiance to you. I will do whatever it is you want me to. To do. And Caesar Augustus is like taken back by this guy who should be falling at his feet begging for his life. And he's taken back by this and he says, you know what, Herod, you're not just king of Judea, but you're king of Samaria and Gaza and all these other places. I'm going to give all of those kingdoms to you and you will rule over all of those because you will be loyal to the Roman government until the bitter end. This sounds really smart, right? He sounds like a really smart guy. It was a brilliant political move. So he goes back to be the king of, um, of this area, and the guy's life kind of is terrible, right? He becomes extremely power-hungry. He has ten wives. He redoes his will like four times, so he has all these sons, and he's like, when I die, this son's going to be it. And then that son makes him mad, and he executes him, and he's like, this, this guy will now be the son. And then that happens like four times, and finally his son's like, I don't, we don't want your kingdom. We like to live our lives, and we don't want to keep dying. And so King Herod is just this power-hungry guy, right? He starts out as this person who's building up kingdoms, building up uh, you know, these new places to worship God, building aqueducts and helping the economy. This guy is building things and then all of a sudden he becomes power hungry and he starts controlling things. He starts preserving the things that he wants and he starts protecting himself and his kingdom and he can't think about the people around him. And he just like executes people, kills them whenever he wants. In fact, I want you to hear how Matthew describes this story. 
after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea, during the time of King Herod, and I've told you all this backstory now about King Herod, right? Magi, or wise men, that's what we know them, from the east came to Jerusalem. Came to Jerusalem and they, they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Surely, surely the king of the Jews will be born close to Jerusalem, the city center for those of us in Israel and the Jewish people. Where is this king of the Jews? And people are like, shh, shh. They're like, no, we can't be quiet. We saw his star when it rose. And we have come to worship him. When King Herod... The power-hungry guy heard this, he was disturbed. And all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Because when King Herod's disturbed, what happens? Bad things happen. He starts to kill people. He starts to, to do awful things. So the people of Jerusalem are also now worried and nervous. So he calls together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, and he asks them, where is this Messiah to be born? They replied, in Bethlehem in Judea. For this is what the prophet has written. This is what we have read about for thousands of years in our holy text. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, just five miles south of where Herod is, is living and is the, in his palace, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. And, and Herod's blood is starting to boil as he hears this. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So Herod, right, is always about devising some plan to protect his power and his control. He called the Magi secretly and, he, and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent, and he was like, all right, this star appeared about two years ago. So he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now, what have we learned about Herod already? He's really politically savvy, right? He's really compelling and he can convince people of, of a lot of things. So after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. This king is now a toddler, right? Jesus is now a toddler, just barely learning to walk. And when they saw the star, when these wise men who had spent years of their lives studying science, learning and growing and questioning and being curious about the world around them, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Something beyond what we can think about or theorize about or dream about. They were so excited. And so coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshipped him. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes, but I want you to know what worship means. Worship means that you have this physical and emotional reaction to something that is bigger than yourself. Something that is more powerful than you. Something that has control of something bigger than you. That is what worship is. And in this moment, they didn't worship what they had learned. They didn't worship what they had thought. They worshiped Jesus. They opened their treasures, all that they had, and they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, this 
politically hungry, powerful guy, they returned to the country by another route. And then I want you to listen. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and he said, get up. Wake up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod's going crazy and he's going to start searching for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, because then he knew it would be safe to come home. And so it was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Do you hear this? When people are power hungry, when they're controlling, when they're preserving their power, out of Egypt I called my son. And after Herod died... Um, they, they came back. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted, listen to this, when he realized he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He was angry. And listen to why Jesus had to go to Egypt. Because he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and, or, and, and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. So this guy who had built up amazing temples and places to worship. This guy who built aqueducts and the economy starts to get so scared that he might not have all the power that he does what? He destroys the lives of people around them. And then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was filled. I wonder if Mary, the mother of Jesus, couldn't be heard repeating what she had learned as a little girl growing up in, in a temple and learning about, about the history of the Israel people, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. I have to imagine if Mary didn't hold baby Jesus, little toddler Jesus against her and think of these words that she had learned. Can you imagine the weight she had to carry with this? I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is the dark part of our story, but I want you to hear this, y'all. We worship a Jesus who was born in a dark, hard, power-hungry, corrupted government time. We know what it's like for his mother to hold her baby and be scared about the world she is raising her child in. We know, this is part of our story, we know what it's like to be around people who, who think nothing of other people. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and he said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are now dead. It, Herod died of a terrible and painful, excruciatingly painful kidney disease. So uh, Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and he lived in a town called Nazareth. And I want y'all to listen. So was fulfilled. Power and greed and corruption cannot stop the fulfillment of what was said through the prophets that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. 
I want you to pay attention to three things Herod does because it's really easy for us on the outside to look at Herod and just throw rocks at him, thinking he's a terrible guy. But Herod had these three things. He was concerned about preserving. As we enter the Christmas season, what is it that you are preserving? What is it you are holding on to this morning with clenched fist? What do you want to be just like it's always been? What do you want to go back to that may never be like that again? Herod was concerned, obsessed with preserving how things used to be. Some of you this morning are sitting here and you are also obsessed with preserving things the way they used to be. You have a pastor standing in front of you who's been a bit obsessed with preserving how things have always been. If I could just make it like it used to be, and I hold on tight to that, Herod preserved. And we don't remember him. When I said the name Herod, nobody in here was like, oh, he was a builder. He did great things in the land of Judea. What you think of is he killed little boys. He was power hungry and crazy. When he was disturbed, when things bothered him, everybody around him was also disturbed and anxious and scared and fearful because he was obsessed with preserving the way things had always been. Herod also protected. He protected his kingdom, his way of being, his life with everything he had. He protected to the point that it did not protect anyone. Herod was obsessed with control. What are you trying to control in your life and in your story? What are you trying to control in the world or in the lives of people around you? Herod was obsessed with control to the point that he sucked out the life and fun and joy of the people around him. They lived anxious and scared. When you start being obsessed with preserving, protecting, and controlling, when you are disturbed with that stuff, the people around you also become disturbed. This is not the story that you want to live. Herod's relationship with the light of the world was one of fear and scarcity. He did not want anything to do with him. He wanted to kill him and stamp him out. This is what happens when we hold on tightly to our own stuff and our own things. I want you to look at what the wise men's relationship is. They weren't, I, I need you to understand, the magi, the wise men were not these people who, who like blindly just followed Jesus. They studied and were curious and they questioned and sometimes they doubted. I'm not asking you to blindly follow Jesus in this season. But what I am asking you to do is pay attention to the people who lit the world up and didn't cause more darkness because we have enough darkness in this world. We don't need people contributing to it. The Magi sought Jesus with everything inside of them. They left their homes and their books and their kingdoms and they sought Jesus and they even sought a new way home, one that would preserve the light of the world. They sought. They sought the right Thing. They sought the light of the world. This was their relationship with the light of the world, and it allowed more light in our world. They also surrendered what they had. They fell on their knees, and they gave to Jesus. Could you use this frankincense and this, this incense and, and this gold and this myrrh? Can you use these things, Jesus? That's what happens when we are in relationship with the light of the world. I'm asking you this morning, 
What are those things that you could surrender, not hold on tightly to with closed fist, controlling and preserving and protecting? What is it you can surrender to the light of the world? Jesus. Because this relationship changed everything. They surrendered what they had. You have some gift this morning. You can sing. You can tell stories. You can sell houses. You can be an amazing attorney. You're, you're retired. You're, you're a physical therapist. You're a teacher. What is it that you have in your hands this morning to surrender to Jesus, the light of the world? They worshipped Jesus. They had a physical and emotional reaction to the light of the world. What is your relationship? What is your relationship with the light of the world? What does it look like for you in this season to seek, to seek the light of the world? What does it look like that you think of one way this week you could surrender some gift that you have to a world around you, to Jesus, who can use it to light up things in the world? And what does it look like in a world that worships everything else? There are lots of people doing Christmas shopping and everything else this morning. What does it look like that you commit in this season to worship the light of the world? I'm not sharing this with you this morning because I didn't have anything else to preach. I'm sharing this with you because if I look at the Christmas story in all honesty, I see more of Herod in me than I like to think. I want us to go back to the days before COVID when the church was full. Nobody has that kind of story. I want, I want to go back to, to a season in my life where I was protecting everything I had and holding on tight and felt like I had control of my life. I want to go back to that season. I want to hold on to my financial gifts and to my gift of preaching. I want it to be used the way I want it to be used. And all it does is cause darkness and fear and disturbance and anxiety in my life when I hold on tight to it. And I'm learning slowly but surely what does it look like to worship Jesus, not everything else. What does it look like to surrender what gifts I have to the light of the world? What does it look like in a, in a world where I can seek the news or more information about everything else? What does it look like that I seek what it is God wants and I'm spending quiet time with him every day? This is what I've watched. I've watched 15 women show up in my living room for a Bible study this fall and I watched them seek. I watched them seek what it is God has for them and I watched them grow and learn. I watched them surrender their Thursday evenings to spending time with God and with each other. And I watched them show up here and worship God and I've watched, I've watched them move from living like this to living like this. What is it that God is asking you to do? Our church, our church will be seeking Jesus. We're going to do Bible studies and gatherings and all kinds of fun stuff. Our church is going to surrender whatever gifts we have to Jesus that he may light up the world. And we will spend every Sunday morning worshiping him. On Christmas Eve, we will light candles and we will lift them to the sky, knowing that the darkness of this world will never overcome the light. We know the story every single time. Every single time that they tried to stamp out the light, it's still one because the light of God is more powerful than any darkness. 
Will you pray with me? God, this morning I pray over people who are holding tightly in their fists, things that are, they want to control, things that they want to protect, and things that they want to preserve. And I pray, God, they'll find the strength and faith this morning to open their hands and surrender those things to you. I pray, God, that those hands that are open to you will offer gifts that you can use to light up our dark world. And I pray, God, this morning for a world who often feels like they are living in darkness. May we shine your light and ignite your change in this world. Amen.